0: Hey guys, and welcome to Hunting Land, presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. If you'd like to stay up to date on hunting tactics, land management, land values, and land market dynamics, this is the podcast for you. This week's show is brought to you by brush clearing services. Are you interested in building a healthy, sustainable habitat for a wide range of wildlife? If so, brush clearing services and their 20 years of wildlife management experience should be your first choice. Brush clearing services, environmental clearing treatment selectively removes vegetation, leaving desirable trees and root structures undisturbed. Mulch left on site accelerates natural decomposition and reduces soil erosion while increasing soil moisture. Check out their full line of property and land services at brushclearingservices.com or or call them 706-718-1690. I'm Joe Baia here with my co-host Clint Flowers and this week on the show we're going to be talking about all the different ways that you can make money investing in land. There's going to be some things that you've heard of before and there's going to be some things that folks haven't thought about before. I'm really excited to get going and get into deep thought on that subject. But Before we do it let's go check in with Daly Thomas of First South Farm Credit see what's happening with land loan rates currently daily welcome back to hunting land man tell us what's going on in the world of land financing
1: hey joe appreciate it glad to be back with you guys again uh, thanks again for having me uh, always enjoy talking with y'all on here yeah we'll just i mean dive right into it if you want talk about rates you know rates have been good for a while and and they're still good they have creaked up a little bit here lately but You know, historically, there's still all-time lows. You know, we got money all the way in the low to mid threes for your shorter term fixed products, all the way up, low to mid fives for the longer term stuff, just depending on on the kind of structure you want there.
0: For folks that are unfamiliar with financing a piece of land, we get these questions every week. So I know a lot of people are still unfamiliar with it. Take everybody through what some of those common terms are and what kind of options are out there in relation to terms and you know how the interest rates change with those terms
1: so what i like to tell people is we've got whatever you want on term options and there's no cookie cutter with us we can pretty much set anything up whichever way is going to best fit our customer and i don't recommend the the same term for everybody but you know with land the way that rates go and relate to term pretty much the longer that you fix a rate for the higher it goes and you know, we've got long-term options all the way out to 30 years, and we have the ability to fix the rate for 30 years. Now but that's our, that is our most expensive product. We do a lot of balloon notes as well and and those work well for some people. Uh, here in Birmingham, a lot of my customers are wanting to buy 10, 20, 30, 40 acres outside of the city to build on one day. Uh, you know that could be tomorrow, that could be a year from now, it could be four years from now. In cases like that, I usually recommend going with a like a five year fixed rate balloon note. Uh, We can put the total term out over 30 years so you've got the flexibility of having that lower payment, but I can get a much better rate for you by only fixing it for that five years. The thought process there is when you get ready to build and you do build and then you roll everything into your home loan, that's when you'll go with that longer term fix.
0: Gotcha. Now, talking about borrowing money, everybody's got different feelings on that, but there's no arguing leverage is a financial tool. And you know, the rest of the show today, we're going to be talking about different ways you can make money, investing in land. Leverage is one of those ways. So I'm going to be the buyer, you know, I'm going to be the guy that's buying land. And, and I want you to talk to me about leverage and how you see it fitting in as a financial tool. So how do you feel about leverage as a whole? Obviously, you're not against it because you work in the, in the land financing yeah, industry. that's right. But, uh, you know, take me through some of the pros and cons to borrowing money.
1: Yeah. So debt's not always a bad thing. Uh, A lot of it has to do with what your plans are, what you're planning to do by borrowing that money. And I mean, you hit leverage. That's the word right there. Um, And we've got customers that they'll borrow money and buy land or they're buying land as, as an investment, but they're also borrowing money on top of that. And a lot of people think, well, why would I want to borrow money on something I'm investing in? And a lot of it depends on the environment. Sometimes you don't want to, but we've, Stock market's been pretty good here lately. I mean, it's had its dips, there's no doubt. But, you know, if you can make eight or 10% in the market with your money, why not borrow it at 4%? And then, I mean, you're still clearing six there just from that. Now, and you're also anchoring your portfolio with a non depreciable asset that most likely is going to appreciate in value over time. So it's kind of a win win there.
0: And I think the simple math on it, you know, is if you're borrowing. 80%, you know, say you're putting 20% down on a piece of land and borrowing the 80%. If that entire piece of land goes up 5% in value, well, that money that you borrowed went up 5% in value. And I mean, really, on that money, it's an infinity return. There is no return. You know, it's not like a uh, 5% return on investment, because you really didn't have an investment in it. You just had that that 20%. So you can look at it a number of different ways. You can say, hey, I made money on money that wasn't mine, or I made a great return on that 20%. But it can cut both ways too. If money, if if the value of that asset does go down, uh, I think we can see that your your losses or paper losses in that case would be compounded against the money you borrowed. But that really brings us back to land. We don't really see a loss in in value in land the way you do in, in other asset classes. I mean, Clint, what are you seeing and what do you look at when you're looking at a piece of land in terms of long term appreciation? What are you factoring in?
2: Location, access, and if it's a timber track, you know, what kind of stocking it has, you know, the, the items on it that are gonna grow while I sleep and uh, or I'm not there. And that's probably the most important things to me. Because the location has to do with how much that dirt's going to appreciate the bare land value. And then the stocking on what's there is going to dictate or either the soil quality, if it's a farm track or how much it's going to yield, how much the rents are going to be timber track, how well stocked it is and what product classes you get out there and species, things like that is going to dictate what kind of growth rate and return you
0: can expect there. And to get back to your point daily, you know, like you say, if you can earn even, even 6%, in the market, you know, if you're getting six percent elsewhere, which may be a, if you're looking at really long term horizons, maybe that's a number you want to use. At three percent to five percent interest rates, where which is where we are right now, you're still got a margin there, which I think is really the power of leverage. But one of the other things that comes to mind when you think about you know ways to make money with land is is the versatility of it. So, you know, take me through daily what somebody can do if they've got equity in a piece of land? You know, if I own my land outright uh, and a good deal comes up, uh, a good investment comes up, I see a piece of land I want to buy that is maybe undervalued, maybe it's the dirt, maybe it's the timber, a lot of different ways it could be undervalued. How can they use their existing land to get leverage through you guys?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a great question. You know, and we get it all the time. And there, there's a lot of different ways, to. Uh, before I jump into this, I do want to touch on something real quick on our last conversation, though. And you hit the nail on the head, Joe, when you said it. Long-term, land is a long-term investment. Values may dip in the short-term, but over a period of years, say 30 years, chances are really, really good on land that the values are going to be worth more in 30 years than they are today. So, you know, you can make short-term profits with land and, you know, through leverage that way. But... You know, even if values do dip for a little while, just hang on to it, make it a longer term investment. You should still come out ahead, but going back to your question about versatility, you know if, if a person has a piece of property that's paid for and they're wanting to buy another piece of property, we can take a mortgage on on what they already own using the equity there and, and loan them. They're basically covering their down payment for this new purchase with the property they already have. It can be used that way if a property owner you know, have some land that's paid for, they want to do some improvements to it, then we can loan based off of that equity there to finance those improvements. Line of credits are also an option for timber management uh, or just having available funds for lives, even, you know, purchase livestock or, or to have it readily available to purchase some, some investment properties to potentially flip. I mean, there's a lot of possibilities there as far as the versatility of land goes.
0: Take me through the line of credit option. You know, if somebody's got, like you say, they've got that uh, they've got that land, they own it free and clear. Is that line of credit? Some places uh, would offer a line of credit and they say, look, we don't really care what you're doing with the money. We just, you know, you own this piece of land. We're going to secure this line of credit with it and, and you, you'd use it how you want. With your lines of credit, does it need to be used for the improvement of that property or for farm operations or for operations on that land? How, how do those lines of credit work?
1: yeah, that's a great question. I'm glad you brought that up. So first off, farm credit, that's you know my company who I work for. We are a farm credit lender. Purpose is a big is a big deal with us with all farm credit lenders. We were set up to loan money to farmers for agricultural purposes. So when we're setting up lines of credit, the purpose behind that really needs to have some sort of agricultural purpose to it or you know land improvements, timber management, Real estate purchases, rural real estate purchases, th- those sort of things. Now, uh, you know, if you're purchasing real estate with it, if it's something you're going to flip really quick, we usually like to go back and term out any lines of credit that have been used to purchase real estate. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't, you know, we don't want to leave it out there as a line for too, too long. But purpose is a big deal with us. So, you know, we're not just a lender that we're going to make you, you know, put a line of credit out there and you can just use it for whatever. Uh, we like to control those funds a little bit, make sure that that we're loaning money for the right purposes and our, our customers are doing right that way too.
0: But for a lot of guys, you know, they're trying to buy that first piece of land and then build upon that. And when I say build, I don't mean build, physically build. I mean, increase their acreages. And so, you know, they may buy a hundred acres or whatever they start with, 10 acres, one acre. But you know, the place next door becomes available and they want to make a move on that. And it seems like, you know, having that line of credit in place, if I'm understanding you correctly, would allow you to do that with speed. uh, If you wanted to, you own that piece of land and the neighbor becomes available and you can use the equity uh, that you've got in your existing property to purchase a neighboring property for, as an example.
1: No doubt. Absolutely. And speed there is is the key word you know having that line of credit available does expedite the process I, and I think, you know like I said it, it is a good idea to usually go back and try to term that real estate debt out uh, unless you're planning on paying the line back right away from other means but yeah absolutely
0: well daily uh, leverage is definitely a, a financial tool is definitely one of the ways you can make money investing in land and we appreciate having you on to discuss that and also get the Land loan interest rates. You know, folks want to get in touch with First South Farm Credit. Y'all have got offices, Alabama, Louisiana, Mississippi. You're you're there in the Birmingham office. Where should people go to contact you or, or to reach out to their, their local First South Farm Credit?
1: Yeah, so I'll just start with our website. You know, they can go on there and find all of our different locations, um, wherever they live, find the closest office to them and, and give give us a call and we'll help out in any way we can.
0: All right, Daly. Well, thanks again for giving us the update, man. We'll look forward to talking to you on here again soon.
1: Joe, Clint, thanks, guys. Appreciate y'all having me
0: on. Looking forward to it. Clint, we're talking about speed. You know, we got talking about line of credit, and uh, you know, being able to move quickly. That's been super important in the last, gosh, eighteen months to move quickly, but also be confident in your financing. Lack of contingencies has won a lot of offers uh, on my end that not weren't necessarily the best purchase price. You seeing the same thing?
2: Yeah. And by quickly, you know, we're mainly talking about here having to, being able to walk in with a clean offer. It doesn't necessarily have to be a quick close, although that's always nice. You know, if you need some time to get things in order to close, that's rarely a problem as long as you've got a clean contract with the seller and they know that once they sign that contract, they've got a deal. Uh, So if you can walk in there pre-qualified, you know, it carries the same Just about the same weight as a cash offer does. So it just helps you get there quicker and negotiate better terms.
0: Yeah, I agree. The way the market is right now, landowners know it. And if there's a bunch of contingencies on the offer, they're maybe just more apt to want to see the market for a little bit longer and uh, see if they can get a better or cleaner offer. Uh, So it's definitely important to have your ducks in a row when it comes to finance and whether that's having a pre-approval in place or having a line of credit that you know you can access, but basically know you can get the deal done so you can make that offer with confidence. Well, Clint, leverage is one financial tool. It's one way to make money with land investments. Let's take a quick break and hear from some of the businesses that make this show possible. When we come back, we're going to be discussing all the different other ways you can make money with land investments. This week's show is brought to you by Photonis Defense, Masters of Darkness. Photonis Defense is proud to offer the PD Pro line of night vision systems. The PD Pro series is the world's smallest and lightest night vision goggles built around the Photonis 16mm filmless 4G image intensifier tubes and their hybrid filmless 18mm image intensifier tubes. These ultra-light, ultra-compact night vision systems deliver the cleanest image, best resolution, smallest, most transparent halo, and best overall performance and function of any Any night vision system available. The PD Pro line consists of the PD Pro M 16 millimeter monocular, the PD Pro B 16 millimeter binocular and the PD Pro Q panoramic night vision system. Check them out. Photonist defense masters of darkness Clint, When it comes to making money with a land investment, what's the first thing you think about? You know, we talked about leverage as one way. What's the first thing you think about? Uh, where your money is working for you in a land investment?
2: Location value. You know, as long as you've got something that's got good access, both legal and physical, you know, and I own tracks that don't have deeded access, but have good physical access and I'm good with that too. But, you know, so it doesn't have to mean that you've got the right to to build a highway into the property or that it's already got one. Uh, It just means that it's got good solid access in an area that's, got good communities around it, good landowners, uh, good reputation, things like that.
0: Location, location, location. You hear that, uh, you know, you've always heard that as an old adage in real estate, but really where that comes into play is through appreciation. If you've got more demand for a piece of dirt, I mean, there's only so much land in the, in the country. And if you've got more demand, increasing demand, because it's in a desirable location, you're going to see appreciation in that property. And I think appreciation is the, uh, the first thing I think about is just over time, there's more and more people, there's the same amount of land, you're going to see a, uh, an increase. What's the number you use? What's your rule of thumb? If you're trying to think about a long-term land investment, you're trying to think about the appreciation in the dirt, You know, just the underlying dirt, what number do you have in the back of your mind? It depends on the size of the track and and where it is. I mean, if
2: you go on a a big Google dive and and search for that number with rural land, you know, assuming there's no other external factors that happen that make it transitional or change the use of the property, kind of the industry average is about one and a half percent, you know, in terms of just buying a track, holding it, taking care of it, enjoying it, you know, about one and a half percent a year compounding uh, is what we generally see. What I'm looking for also depends on what my scope is. Is this going to be a long-term hold for my family that we're going to use, uh, or is it going to be something that I'm pure investment? I don't really mean flip, but is it going to be something I'm going to improve and resell down the road, that kind of thing? So, depending on your your scope here, your goals, that could be anywhere from that one and a half reliable number up to you know ten percent, something like that, just depending on on what your plan is.
0: And like we talked about with daily, it's a long-term investment. And, and that's when we, when we throw out numbers, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about over the long-term. I mean, if you want to grab two points in time, you can always make it look better or worse depending on when you started and when you stopped. But if we're looking at it over a, a, a lifetime of ownership, like you say, something you're going to buy and hold thinking about that one and a half percent and, and on up from there. The other way your land can appreciate those in the different types of asset classes that you have on that property. You know, so a lot of people say you, you want to have a diversified portfolio. Well, if you've got a piece of land that's got you've got the dirt, you've got the timber, maybe you've got farming operations, maybe you've got pine straw operation, You've got a lot of different things that may be providing uh, income or value to that property. Timber is one of those things. So That's another thing that you're going to be thinking about when it comes to appreciation, those trees growing. So what are you thinking about rule of thumb again, when you're thinking about timber growth? Of course, it's important to understand and you should talk about the fact that it's a commodity and that value can change daily. But what are you thinking numbers wise?
2: Well, and the low end appreciation numbers we just discussed is that's to clarify more. That's assuming you do nothing. Like I bought a track, It is what it is. I just, I did nothing and let it grow. There's other types of ways to make your, your dirt appreciate through site improvements and things like that, that we'll get into. But timber wise, again, jumping back to what's kind of the documented norms that ranges anywhere from about six to 8% a year up to 20%. Some of that depends on where you are in the rotation, uh, where you are in the country, you know, what kind of um, timber markets you have around you, you know, and then on top of everything, how well stocked
0: it is and how you manage it. When you talk about those numbers, are you talking about compounding appreciation or just a simple appreciation compounding? The other thing when it comes to appreciation is, and you brought that up is what you would quote unquote call forcing appreciation. So you're doing things to the land to make it worth more. And an example of that might be building a pond. I think the key thing, though, is is making sure those are cost effective improvements. So, building a pond's the first thing that comes to my mind. But what comes to your mind?
2: Well, it can be anything from, um, you know, improving uh, income stream, cash flow opportunities out there, uh, barns, camps, road systems, food plots, anything out there that you know, if you spend a dollar on it, uh, and it's giving you a return over and above that dollar that's a cost effective improvement.
0: Yeah. And I think too, I mean, just a good example might be, uh, you know, a pine straw stand. If you've got trees that are producing merchantable pine straw and it's currently not, uh, the stand is not, uh, in shape to harvest it, going in and getting it ready to harvest it. Uh, it's going to cost you a little bit of money up front, but you're going to make that money back over time. If you're doing it, if you've done your numbers correctly, uh, in the, in that pine straw harvest. Talk yeah. It's about- just
2: like having a, a, a fallow farm that you, you get back into production or even jump into like commercial property. If you've got an unrented building, a rented building is worth a lot more than an unrented building that needs some work. So yeah, as long as you get in there and and do those things to create that, that additional income or additional diversity, uh, and do it in a cost effective
0: manner, it's, that's forced appreciation. You know, we couldn't talk about appreciation if we didn't talk about depreciation and you wouldn't think that depreciation would be something that would help you make money, but it does in certain ways. So, you know, take me through what you're thinking about when it comes to depreciation and how that can help you make money, uh, through land ownership. So depending on how
2: you, you treat your improvements and what kind of improvements we're talking about, barns and camps can be depreciated. Again, depending on how it's structured for the landowner, the same way your home or other investment property can be depreciated, but then you've also got certain improvements that you can make that you can capitalize in the year of the expense. So burning and spraying and roadwork, fire lanes, things like that can all be written off that year. Uh, And then you still see the uh, appreciation from that effort when you sell it but then if you do have a capital gain on that you're paying a long-term capital gain rate versus short-term like you would in other rental property so it it really helps at both ends
0: depreciation as a tool for tax avoidance is certainly one way you can make money with land and tax avoidance is another another way you can make money so there's a lot of ways you can do that with land we've done a whole show on that but Let's quickly run through uh, what those are uh, when it comes to avoiding taxes. Uh, Depreciation is one of those things. Those write-offs that you mentioned are another one. What else?
2: Well, and a lot of this is, is not avoidance as much as deferring. You know, they, those two things can be confused sometimes. But, you know, you've got conservation easements uh, that could help you offset other capital gains. If your property's in an opportunity zone, uh, there may be some, well, opportunities there. Take advantage clever. of that. Yeah, um, <laughs> it happens on occasion. You know, a lot of a lot of things like that that are that are there. I mean, you can go into certain types of partnerships. You know, depending on how you're trying to set this up for your family, uh, or inside an investment. You know, there's a lot of things out there that you know you just need to consult with your tax professional or tax attorney and and help them walk through this. But but I mean, there's a big a, one
0: that comes to mind for me is is the step up in basis. Uh, you know, if you're talking about inheriting, passing that asset on. Now, whether or not that's going to stay around is another story, but the, that basis is step up and basis is a big thing.
2: Yeah. It just depends on where you are in the, in the uh, life of the, of land ownership. You know, are you looking at just something you're planning ahead for when you're gone? Or if you're going to utilize a 1031 exchange uh, forward or reverse, you know, to transition between land investments or real estate investments as a whole, you know, things like that, that can, you know, they're out there. Uh, You just got to really get educated on them and understand which one's going to be the best for you, again, depending on your goals.
0: Like you said, if you can defer those taxes to another day, uh, you may have lower tax rates in that time, depending on how that income comes in. But the reality is that if you can defer it, you're compounding and then invest that money. You're compounding those returns, and that's going to make you money over the long run. You know, we talked about forcing appreciation. But one of the things we haven't discussed is another way you can make money with land is when your land transitions into a higher or better use. Uh, you know, you think about uh, properties that you buy them, they're rural, then all of a sudden, they're not rural anymore. So, you know, when you're talking about highest and best use transition, give me some examples of what you think about as ways that maybe you or other your, your clients have made money as that transition has happened. Well, I mean, the clearest examples are things where
2: you've got a track that was currently in rural uses, um, farm ground, timberland, hunting land, something like that. And then all of a sudden you've got some form of, of industry that needs to come in to that area and you've got the best site and they've got to have your site. Uh, so think of sawmills, paper mills, airports, Things like that. Um, like we're negotiating a deal right now for a, a airport to go in. There's sites in Clark County, Alabama where the LP mill went in, things like that, you know, where we really saw a jump in in values because of that specific need for that site. The more general approach to that is where you own land in the path of growth and that growth reaches you. Well now. You know, you either got one or two things going on. There's more people in that area that are competing to buy that type of land, hunting land, land, timberland, farmland. So that in and of itself makes your land more valuable because you get more competition for it in a low supply. Or you've got a true transition where they want to, somebody wants to, to buy that track and develop it for home sites, apartments. Uh, retail, commercial, whatever the best case may be, you know, new highways coming in, bypasses, bridges, whatever you can think of that, that we've all seen around some of these markets, you know, but where I'm located in Baldwin County, Alabama, we're the uh, one of the top fastest growing MSAs in the country. So we see a lot of that, you know, the Atlanta area, places like that Nashville, as things expand out, you've got that kind of that circle of growth or line of growth, depending on which city we're talking about. And long as you're in that path, you'll start, getting the benefit of that over time.
0: I've seen the same thing here in Walton County, Florida, where I am. I mean, another one of the highest growth, you know, fastest growing areas in the country. And, you know, you talk about highest and best use a good example of that is the show we did on subdividing your property. If you can take your, your timberland and divide it in a smart way uh, where maybe you take it from being timberland to being 10 acre rural home sites well if you bought that land for 2500 dollars an acre and you're able to just even just take a portion of it and and turn it into say three 10 acre home sites sell those off anywhere from just depends on your market but you're going to see a significant growth on those on that acreage that you purchased and that gets back again to kind of some forced forced appreciation too because your effort in Uh, in subdividing it properly selling it off in the right way helped you to do that as well there's still more to go man but before (laughs) before we get there let's take a little break and uh, hear from some of the businesses that are making this show possible pyramid air is your go-to resource for all things air gun whether you want a co2 air pistol for your son to go planking or a 50 caliber air rifle that you can take on your next big game hunt It's their goal to help you enjoy your gun. Shop online or call them toll-free at 1-888-262-4867. They offer a 30-day money-back guarantee, live online chat with seasoned shooters, and a state-of-the-art tech department ready to help you fix, upgrade, or tune your airgun. PyramidAir.com. Big selection. Fast shipping. The airgun experts. Find them at PyramidAir.com. All right, Clint. We talked about a lot of ways you can make money with land. There's still a bunch more though. One of the things we didn't talk about was leases. So hunting leases, farm leases, significant income when you start to look at those kind of things.
2: It is, you know, and on top of that, you typically have some costs and time savings on the maintenance side too.
0: I think one of the things that's maybe overlooked when you think about leases is because you can take advantage of that lease yourself. So if you're a farmer... Well, you're not paying somebody else to farm their land, and if you're a hunter, you're not paying somebody else to hunt that land. Now, you are also not getting the income during that time that you're using it for your uh, your desires. But you've got the versatility that if one day you want to buy a bigger track, you know maybe it's a hunting track and you want to buy a bigger track, doesn't mean you got to sell that place. You you can then lease it out if you want to. I think the other way that maybe you can you could say make money, or maybe you could say not lose money. Uh, Is just the stability of having another place to go if it's not your primary residence in the event that you would need that, but also from a you know from a, a leasing perspective, I think about land that I've leased over the years and I've made significant improvements to that land that were were a significant expense to me, and then when I either lost that lease or moved away from that lease, those improvements stayed behind. So. I mean, when you got your own property, everything you do is helping build uh, either equity or forcing appreciation in that property. That's right. What about minerals? So we hear a lot about subsurface and surface minerals. When it comes to subsurface minerals, what are we talking about?
2: Well, in, our, in my market, that's oil, gas, and hydrocarbons. That can change depending on where you are in the, in the country. So it, it, again, it's very location specific, you know, it's not common to get minerals in our part of the state In other parts of the state. It is, uh, again, because those, those available mineral opportunities change where, you know, when you start getting into coal and things like that, again, that's something that you need to be understanding of in the market that you're in. Uh, and if you're not, then you need to find and deal with somebody that is. Um, let them give you an opinion on how the, the mineral language should read, uh, either in an agreement as you buy or sell uh, or understanding, you know, really what you've got, because that can, can change greatly. And as far as value goes and appreciation goes, it just depends. And the reason, you know, like around here, the reason oil and gas and those things aren't as big a deal, because we have very little activity of that kind around us. So most people don't even know if they own those minerals. And most of them don't, including myself, on anything I own, Uh, and I'm just not that worried about it because we don't have that kind of activity. Now, if I was in an area that had a lot of oil and gas activity, then yes, I'd be really worried about you know if I own those rights or not, and understanding the value of that, and what my rights are, and things like that.
0: Whenever you understand what's going on there, though, it's not always a negative uh, if you don't own those those subsurface minerals. In fact, sometimes it can be a positive. A lot of times, if if someone is doing some type of activity on your property, they can help improve the property while they're there. You know, we, we run into that a lot where people say, you know, just because you don't have those subsurface mineral rights. And like we say, we're talking about oil, gas, and hydrocarbons. I can understand the feeling that I want to own those rights, but it's not always a negative, even if somebody were to do something on your property with, with those rights.
2: That's right. I mean, again, I, Nothing I own land-wise has any that I'm aware of. And to know for sure, I'd have to go back and do a mineral title search all the way back to the state patent, which is just expensive. And again, don't have that kind of activity around it, so I'm not, I don't feel the need to make that investment. But if you are in a situation where you don't have those minerals, and let's say somebody, wants, somebody else owns those minerals and they want to harvest them uh, in whatever manner um, is dictated necessary for that mineral type, very rarely in my experience do they just knock on the door and say hey just letting you know we're putting up a derrick over there starting next week they're typically going to en- engage you involve you in that process offer you some compensation for the surface disturbance even if they don't have to they typically are going to do that just to avoid conflict define what they're going to need to do how they're going to take care of roads uh, how things are act in the future and again it's just in those circumstances you just want to make sure that you're properly represented and and compensated in those cases. But more times than not, I mean, with today's technologies, they can harvest a lot of these minerals and you'll never know they were there. And and there's zero disturbance to the surface, but there's clear cut rules and all that. So this is not something that we really
0: worry about at all. It's not something that you can gloss over in, you know, a few minutes. It's something you need to dig in with somebody who understands your area specifically. Uh, but now, you know, we're talking about subsurface minerals that, that leaves out surface minerals. What are we talking about there? And how, how can folks make money with surface minerals? What do you seeing? I see a lot of that in your area.
2: Yeah. And again, depending on where you are in the country, you know, sand, gravel, clay, and, and my market is not a mineral, uh, just through the term mineral. And if you see it in a document, it has to be specifically named if it's retained by a grantor to a grantee. So it'd have to say minerals and sand and gravel. In other states that can change, it can vary. So again, just make sure you're up to speed in your market. But here, you know, we do see sand, gravel, clay markets, depending on where you are. Again, you gotta have a demand for it. Uh, But if you do have that merchantable material on your property, uh, it can be a great income stream. We've got, I've got clients that are making anywhere from six to $12,000 an acre off of these pits and things like that depending on you know what material they have and what market they're in so again it comes down to if you've got a market for it the more competition you've got for that material the more you're going to make Uh, and then it also comes down to just the volume that you have and the
0: accessibility to that volume. I was on a property not not too long ago with a landowner and he just had a he had this really beautiful pond it had this real you know kind of turquoise watercolor to it. And and I said, that, that pond must have a little limestone base in it. And, and what it was, was that the Department of Transportation had been taking out limestone from his property for years and years and years. And when they finished, he had a really nice pond out of the deals, full of fish. He enjoyed it with his family. And he told me that he had paid for his property with that with that limestone out of that pit. And now he just had a nice, what what seemed to be just a real pretty lake so you think about the return on that investment basically that property paid for itself so that's where surface minerals can can come in again we're not really saying minerals but that's that's kind of the nomenclature that gets used last thing i want to talk about is carbon credits that's something you've seen in the news here recently it's not brand new but it's getting some more some more lip service here recently so What's going on in the carbon credit market, Clint? What should people know about ways they can make money with that?
2: Well, you're right. It is trying to come back. You know, not that it's necessarily completely gone away over the years, but it definitely ebbs and flows. Uh, some of the indexes that you trade that those on uh, either went that went away completely or, or really shrank. But in reality, what you're typically doing again at a high level is you're agreeing not to go in and devastate a stand of timber, it almost acts like a, um, a conservation easement where you put, except it's not perpetual, you put a timeline on certain rights within a stand of timber, how you're going to manage it, what's going to happen so that they can actually go in and, and confirm how much carbon is going to be offset through that effort. Uh, yeah. And where I've seen that work best is in young stands. You know, if you're a landowner, you've got a young stand of timber that you're not going to be doing anything in for years anyway and it qualifies for this, then use it, you know, make that money because it's going to support what you're going to be doing anyway. If it's going to really change, materially change what your plans initially were, then you may want to reconsider that and make sure that you understand the ins and outs and the pros and cons of that. But it is one of those opportunities that is out there for the right people.
0: Yeah. I I think like you said, it's you're sequestering carbon for someone else. You know, (laughs) I mean, Microsoft is a big buyer of these. Yeah of these credits. And so if you can use something like that to, like you said, make money doing something that you were going to do anyway, then that's a great benefit. You may even still be able to make a change in what you were going to do, uh, and still make money. Like, you so you just got to make sure that you're weighing it against the opportunity cost of doing nothing. Cause that's really what it is about. And seems like, you know, it's really just saying, don't, don't cut these trees down, but it's don't cut them down yet in a lot of cases.
2: That's right. Cause usually what happens is you get an adjustment in your credits and things like that as you make management harvests that are necessary. So it doesn't necessarily say that you can't cut the timber, but if there's a stand that you weren't going to be cutting for a long period anyway, it works best in those.
0: Clint, a lot of these things we're talking about, you know, the carbon credit market, for example, is is heavily influenced by the political environment, you know, the current administration. That's why you're starting to see uh, that carbon and credit market emerge again as uh, we've had a change in administration. It's creating a lot of those opportunities. And you know you, you talk about uh, administrations and political environment. That brings to mind for me another way to, you could say make money, but it's maybe avoid expenses. and that's cost share programs. I mean, just because you need to burn your place or just because you want to establish Long Leaf, doesn't mean that you have to bear the brunt of the entire expense. There's a ton of cost share opportunities out there for landowners. What are some of your favorites?
2: The ones that we use the most around here, are the CSPs and uh, Equip and WIP, um, they changed names a little bit in the last, I guess it'd be a couple farm bills ago now. But basically on, on both programs um, or all three, depending on how you look at it, there's opportunities to basically either get reimbursed or paid for things that you were most likely going to be doing anyway. So it's just found money. It's not me having to go do something or being forced to do something I didn't want to do, uh, or that I'm having to do to get this income. It's something that I was going to do anyway. You know, the wildlife programs that are associated with that, uh, from perennial plots to food plots, general road work to the burning or understory spraying or site prep, Uh, reforestation costs, all those things that landowners encounter in our market, uh, those programs can compensate them for as long as they qualify. Uh, There's feral hog management, cost share, a lot of things out there that, again, I'm going to be doing anyway. So if I can actually get some assistance from the USDA and any other programs like it um, to help support what I was going to be doing anyway, I'm all ears.
0: And I'm all ears because, I mean, you're paying tax dollars for these programs to exist. So being able to take advantage of them because you're a landowner is is a great benefit. I think the thing that I learned from all this, and there's probably some things we missed, you know, somebody saying, well, you know, here's another way, but there's a ton of different ways you can make money investing in land. Versatility of land to me is the theme of this is that if you've got a piece of dirt, You've got opportunities to do something with it, or just, man, just, just let it sit there. It's gonna, it's gonna be more valuable in the future in the long run. I'm sure we missed something, guys, but I hope that this show has been helpful to you and in, in inspiring you in some way to either do something with your property you're not currently doing to make money, or look in to buying your first piece of property and and start investing in land. I believe in it. I know you believe in it, Clint, and, uh, I'm going to be doing it till the day I die. So folks, that is going to wrap it up this week. As always, we want to make sure it's easy for you to listen to the new shows as soon as they're ready. So here's a handy option for you to get the podcast emailed to you each week. Just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. Again, just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. You'll join our email list. And wherever you are listening to podcasts, go ahead, subscribe, rate, and review. Send us a written review. We'd love to hear from you. If you got a show topic that you are interested in and like to see us cover, just email us at pros@landhunting.com. at That's going to do it for us. Y'all stay safe out there. We'll talk to you next time. This week's Hunt and Land podcast has been brought to you by First South Farm Credit. First South Farm Credit can help you finance or refinance that perfect piece of land. To find out how First South can help you, visit their website at firstsouthland.com or call them at 800-955-1722. They are an equal housing lender. And also brought to you by Brush Clearing Services. Check out their full line of property and land services at brushclearingservices.com or call them at 706-718-1690. And also SunSouth. Own the best for less. Visit SunSouth for quality John Deere equipment you've been dreaming of or visit sunsouth.com. SunSouth for those that do. And also brought to you by Bucks Island Marine. They have new pontoon boats, bass boats, bow riders, and aluminum boats for sale. They provide boat service on all kinds of boats, even if they weren't purchased from Bucks. You can visit them at 4500 Highway 77 in Southside, Alabama, or give them a call at 256-442-2588. This week's show has been brought to you by Joe Baia and Clint Flowers, members of the top producing team at National Land Realty, the fastest growing and most innovative land brokerage in the nation. Bottom line, we know land and now is a great time to buy or sell want to know why shoot us an email at pros@landhunting.com or call us at 855 nlr land and also buy great days outdoors magazine are you looking for that one-of-a-kind father's day or mother's day gift if so head on over to greatdaysoutdoors.com and check out the best gifts for outdoorsmen 2021 we've curated a bunch of unique ideas to help you find that awesome gift for the outdoorsman on your list. Just head over to greatdaysoutdoors.com slash best gifts for outdoorsmen to check it out.